I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So we start off today, and I, I don't like to be down. I'm an up kind of guy. I like to be up. I try to maintain a positive attitude, but unfortunately, a very good friend of mine, a young man I grew up with, we were very, very close. Our families were very, very close. You know, we were having children at the same time, and we were finding our way through life. You know, we, we were young men trying to find what, what would work for us. You know, so a very good friend of mine, and I'm not going to mention his name out of respect for his family, uh, about my age. I think he's, he's a year older than me. I'm 61. He's 62. Uh, he had three kids. I had four. Our kids hung out together for a while. We were very close, you know, husbands and wives, and we went on camping trips together, and we went to each other's houses several times a week, enjoyed the kids playing in the summer, adult beverages, barbecues, all that kind of stuff. Well, as time goes by, you know, things separate people, you know, and we had, we had different career paths and took us on different times. I worked shift work and, you know, he had his own business and kept us busy, but we always stayed close over the years, you know, not as close as I think we both would have wished that we could have spent more time together with our families, but we've seen each other on occasions in recent years, you know, at different events, and it was always nice to get back together. Well, tragedy has struck his family. Uh, his 31-year-old son overdosed uh, on an opioid or a fentanyl product and died. Totally unexpectedly, out of the blue, struck his family, his friends, his siblings, and everybody who knew them, and the young man, uh, by surprise. As terrible as that is, and it is terrible and painful and horrible. You realize that this is something that's happening to not just hundreds, not just thousands, but tens of thousands of families across our country every single year. You know, in looking up the statistics, you know, we all hear, you know, oh, 100,000, this, that, and the other thing. In 2022, there were almost 110,000 opioid fentanyl deaths in the United States. 110,000. Think about how many that is. How many families are devastated? How many young men and women who will never get to see their potential, will never get to live, will never get to understand who they are. Now, I understand a lot of people, oh, they're drug addicts, you know. Well, they're drug addicts. Well, they may be. But I don't think they started out their lives or their, or even their use of, of recreational drugs or whatever it was uh, saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be addicted and live a miserable life as an addict, and then I'm going to ruin my family, and I'm going to make everybody miserable, and then one day I'll just drop dead from an overdose, and oh boy. It's a sad state of affairs, and I'm, uh, I'm moved by it, 
and I'm I'm moved for all the people in our country, all the families, all the moms, dads, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends who are going through the same thing today. Because they tell us statistically, with 110,000, let me just do the let me just do the number here. I have my handy calculator here. Let's just say a hundred um, and nine thousand. Hundred and nine thousand people um, are are die every year divided by uh, three hundred and sixty-five days. So let's see what we got. That's two hundred and ninety-eight people a day, on average, are dying over fentanyl opium opioid deaths. 298. 298. That's almost six people per state every single day. And obviously some states have more higher population. They're doing more. So while my friend and his family are suffering bitterly tonight, as there is everyone who knew the young man, there are 297 other families in the country who are similarly suffering. And you know what? And tomorrow there'll be 297 more. And the day after that, 297 more. And the day after that, 297 more. And the number will probably just go up. So <clears throat> if I was going to be angry and place blame, I would place blame in a lot of places. First of all, I would say the young man shouldn't have dabbled in the narcotics. You know, uh, the, the whole idea of uh, somebody holding you down and sticking you with a, a needle or making you snort heroin or making you take opioid pills against your will to the point that you're addicted doesn't really happen. People make, they make choices. They make choices to, to use these pills to get high. Now, there's also lots and lots and lots of people that also get addicted inadvertently. And you say, Lieutenant Joe, how could people get addicted inadvertently? Well, I know several people, several adults, good, decent people, uh, who had an injury. And as part of the pain management for that injury, maybe they had surgery, maybe they didn't, they tried to get through it. They were given opioids as a pain medication. And the doctors didn't manage it very well, and these people became addicted and it's, a, it's an addiction whether you choose to do it or whether it happens inadvertently. You take a doctor's advice and then you go and get addicted. Either way, it's a life-changing event. I, it's as strange as it seems. The only other thing I've seen harder to get off of is nicotine. You know, nicotine is something. Look how many people smoke. Now, many, many less than used to, but how many people smoke today uh, and just can't stop? They say, they, I could quit any time, and they really can't. Well, it's the same thing with opioids, uh, fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid, and all these other things that, that, that are addictive substances. However you end up taking them, they end up ruling your life. It's not it, You go from partying to have fun to partying to live. And I say partying, that's even a, uh, a misnomer of a word. There's no party involved in it when you're addicted to drugs and you have to wake up. Uh, from your stupor and go find more drugs and take more drugs till you pass out. So if I had to lay blame, first I would say the young man never should have gotten involved. And as far as I know, it wasn't an injury that got him involved. He was probably 
experimenting like many young people do uh, with friends. Friends may have already been addicted and said, hey, you got to try this. It's great. And they get involved and next thing you know, they're, they're addicted themselves. So I, I have to say he never should have done it. That being said, once he was caught in that trap, uh, it's very difficult to get out. So he, he deserves some of the blame, unfortunately, for his own demise because he made choices that led him there. Doesn't mean I don't love him. I do. But I'll pray for his soul and I'll pray for everyone else who's not yet addicted and all those who are on the road to addiction, that they don't meet it. Next, who do I blame? I blame our society that looks uh, at drugs as, well, it's just a personal choice. If you want to do it, you should be able to do it. You know, well, it's one thing I guess you would say with marijuana because it's equated kind of to alcohol, right? Marijuana is like alcohol. You can enjoy a little marijuana. You don't really get physically addicted. You, you, you do can you can get mentally addicted. I know a lot of people, uh, even friends, whose lives were stunted because they smoked so much pot as a young person and they never stopped when they got into young adulthood and then mid mid adulthood. And they're still now in their 50s and 60s smoking pot every single day. And, you know, some of them some of them did well. But the ones who smoked a lot of pot and who still smoke a lot of pot, um, they're not anywhere in life that they thought they would be or had hoped to be or wanted to be. They are kind of living existences. And this is almost to a person. Uh, they are living existences of getting by. Yeah, some days are good, some days are bad, sometimes they have money, sometimes they don't have money. They don't have great houses, they don't go on great vacations, they don't have great relationships. Uh, they just get high. They get high. I, I got a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, and we were separated for a long time by life. And we got back together, and, and he's not very happy with his life. He, he's got a, a menial job that he's had forever. He hates his job, hates going to it every day, hates dealing with the job. But he has no choice because he has to live, has to feed himself. He had a couple of relationships along the way, and they just never worked out. And here he is alone uh, in, in his 60s and smoking pot every day. So let's say, he, let's, say, let's say he makes take home, and believe this or not, this is in, 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 modern, in our modern world today. If he's taking home $450 a week, that's a lot, right? Now that $450 a week... He has to spend a hundred of it minimum on marijuana. Minimum a hundred, if not if not more. I'm going to say probably more, and then he scrapes by for the rest of his life. So drugs are not uh, recreationally fun. You know they might be a good time, and I know some of you out there are saying, "Hey, I just started smoking pot since it became legal, and it's really kind of fun." Well, if you have a, a life already and you have control over yourself and you can sit and smoke a, smoke a joint and get high and enjoy yourself and then go to work tomorrow and not smoke tomorrow and the day after and the day after and do it occasionally then I guess I guess it's okay. I do know other people like that. I do know adults my age who uh, are genuinely recreational users of marijuana especially since it's become legal. Um, you know they buy a little bag and on the weekends, maybe they have a hit or two off a pipe or a joint or something, and they seem to be functioning just fine. For me, it's not not my thing. I I don't get it. Um, I do like my gin and tonics. I'll admit that. I do like a nice gin and tonic or a really good bourbon and a cigar. I do enjoy that. But I don't need drugs. I just I don't 
I don't like feeling disassociated from myself or whatever. But let's go back to the blame game here with this young man who, who's, who's no longer with us. So I, I blame him for, for dabbling or getting involved with drugs to that point. Um, I blame society that's talking drugs into being, oh, it's no big deal, it's really okay, it's cool, it's real cool. You know, this cool culture that doesn't understand anything. Next, I blame the drug dealers who take advantage of people, especially those who are addicted. Uh, and they ply their trade with their poison, leading to the deaths of 109,000 people a year, 297 people a day. Like right now, since we've been talking, we've been talking what, 10, 12 minutes. Several people have died of heroin overdoses or fentanyl overdoses while we've been speaking. Right? That's how, that's how fast and it happens. It's terrible. So I blame the dealers who ply this horrible trade. And now, knowing all of this, knowing this, this tidal wave of, of death is on our shores, we have to say, well, where is it coming from? Are they flying it in on airplanes? Are they boating it in through the Caribbean, you know, like in the, in the, in the 70s with the cocaine coming up, you know, in the, uh, in the speedboats coming through the, through the keys and coming through? And, no, they're not doing that. Are they bringing it to us from Canada? Are they backpacking it down from Canada, from the mountains? No. They're bringing it over the southern border of the United States. It's being trucked in. It's being carried in. It's being smuggled in across the border of the United States. If we were to cut off the supply, if we were to cut off the supply of illegal heroin and fentanyl that comes pouring over this border, you see these busts, the, these cops make these busts. I love the word busts. They make a bust. It's not a bust. They, they make an arrest. They, they catch somebody, usually mules. These are people just, you know, moving it. These aren't the dealers. These are the people just paid to, to move it. And they, they catch them. And they have enough fentanyl to kill every person in America. That's 340, 350 million people, right? And how many times a year do we hear that? Just made an arrest at the border. Just made an arrest in here. Just made an arrest over there with enough fentanyl to kill everyone in the country. You could kill everyone in the country several times over with the amount of this drug that's coming across our border. And if it wasn't getting in here, if we shut down, if we shut down 50% of it, if we shut down 50% of the amount of the drugs getting over here, we could probably cut that number down to 50,000. You say, oh, but Lieutenant Joe, 50,000 people is horrible. Losing 50,000 is better than losing 100,000, don't you think? My friend's son might still be alive tonight if it wasn't for that. So I think we could shut down more than that. And how would we do that? We would close the goddamn border on the southern part of the United States. We would make sure that that border is secure and that the cartels that are running wild all over the place along the southern border and inland from the border that they were shut down. They are killing 109,000 Americans every single year. We lost 59,000 brave Americans in the Vietnam conflict. We lose 109,000 every single year. And it's going to be more. How many more thousands and thousands of people are going to die? Well, we know today 297 are going to die. 
and tomorrow 297. And how many will it be next year? Another 100,000? So basically, there are young people out there that you know, could be in your family, could be your son or your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson, that are running around out there today that are going to dabble, play around with this stuff. And many of them, 109,000 of them, are going to be dead by this time next year. And still the border is wide open. So I blame the government. I blame the leadership of the government. And currently that would be the Biden administration. And it, they have made it even worse with their open border nonsense. Not only does it allow for human trafficking and the misery that those people that are trying to get here for a better life, I get that, we've said that a thousand times. They shouldn't be allowed to just cross over to the border because with them comes drugs, human trafficking, all kinds of tragedy and misery for them and for us. I put the blame on the Biden administration. Just the fact that we lose over 100,000 people a year should be enough to shut that border down right now. Not another person comes over that border. Not another truck rolls across that border that we don't search. Not another person swims across the river with a backpack. Not another group of people are ferried over here by the cartel members. Not another person, not another bag of heroin or fentanyl should come across that border. And I would go so far as to say, it is time to do something about the cartels. They are an absolute danger to America, to our young people, to our way of life, the people that are addicted. If 100,000 are dying every year, how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are addicted and just haven't taken a hot load yet and died? I think it's time that somebody grow a backbone and talk to the leadership of Mexico in the clearest possible terms that if the border continues the way it's going with the cartels running things, then we are going to have to consider some kind of action. And I know, yo, you're starting a war. Well, you know what? There are some things worth fighting for. A hundred thousand dead young Americans is worth fighting for. Enough with the talk. Enough with the crap. Enough with this left-wing nonsense of let everybody in here because with them comes the misery. How many, how many little children are being bought and sold in this unbelievable wave of humanity coming into our country? How many young women and young boys tonight, right this minute, are being sexually assaulted, are being sold as commodities by these animals that see human beings as things to sell and I don't care who it is I don't care if it's Americans that are part of it they're animals to treat another human being especially a child a child of God like that I'm very very upset and hurt by this and you know I think about it I saw the misery of this I was a narcotics officer for many years and I saw the misery of addiction and there was not a lot you could do about it 
you arrested people and you sent them back out and they went and did it again. And some people got better. Some people healed. Many people did not. These are our young people. These are our Americans. These are our next generation. And they're being weakened by these drugs. They're dying. Well, I just wanted to say that. I don't mean to be depressed, but I think it's time we all write a letter to your congressman, write a letter to your senator, write a letter to the White House, and tell them, I don't care what party I'm from, I don't care what I believe about anything else. Shut the border down. Stop the cartels and stop the death. We have something to fight for. A year from now, there are 109,000, if not more, young people that we know we may be related to that will be dead in their graves because of this nonsense, because of this poison. It's time for it to stop. I say goodnight to my friend and to his family. I will say prayers for them. I will ask everybody out there to say prayers for the healing of their family and for all the people out there who are going to go through this. For the 297 people who are going to go through this tomorrow and the 297 the day after. It's absolutely horrifying. All right, so what else can we talk about? You know, I don't mean to depress you. I don't mean to bring you down, but I wanted to voice that. And I'm controlling my anger, as you can tell. I'm controlling my anger here. Well, I hear something that's good. Let me give you a, a, an, an upshot, something good. Um, recently, I was I was blessed to get a contract to train um, a group of uh, county workers who are the people who are in charge for the whole county of hiring uh, law enforcement officers, uh, EMTs, emergency uh, medical uh, personnel, and firefighters. And they had called me, I don't know, I guess the person who runs the, the background investigation office uh, for this county had called me three, four, five months ago. I don't even remember, but said, hey, listen, we are hiring all of these first responders and we have a team of probably 50 investigators. And basically you get put in that unit and you're, you're an investigator and we should do backgrounds. Some people have experience, some people have law enforcement experience, fire experience, EMT experience as leadership, and they're on this team. Uh, but not everybody has the experience of conducting proper background investigations. So they reached out to me and they said, hey, Lieutenant Joe, we know you teach a program uh, on conducting pre-employment background investigations. Do you think your investigation program would uh, provide value to our investigators. And I said, yes, that's exactly what the program is for. It's for conducting background investigations for law enforcement. Well, it's, it's law enforcement is the same as uh, any uh, first responders, basically. They have the same concerns. They're public servants. They're emergency workers. They have to be highly skilled, highly trained. And their actions, both on duty and off, can affect the community in many, many ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we went back and forth uh, over you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, could we do it. And we finally agreed on it, and I went down there. Uh, I think we had 45 or 50 people in the class, which was really great, of all different kind of backgrounds, which was even better. Uh, all different kind of backgrounds, all different kind of experience came together. Uh, I went down there with uh, my team, which is uh, three 
role-playing actors. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Three role-playing actors uh, and my, uh, my assistant who helps me with technology. You know, all my programs and PowerPoints and movies and videos and all that stuff. And we went down. And they were the nicest, most wonderful group of people. I got to tell you, I, I was welcomed in to, to this county uh, several states away from where I, where I live. Uh, people didn't really know me. I knew the one person I was dealing with, uh, the one person in their office administrator that we were working things out. And it was such a wonderful group of men and women, uh, how they welcomed me in with open arms. They were all, even though some of them had been doing, you know, when I, when I do a class, one of the first things I do is I explain my background. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's how I do it. And the reason I do that, I want them to know who I am. Then I need to know who they are individually. Their name, their agency, how long they've been doing this kind of work, what are they hoping to get out of the class, so that I can tailor my teaching and my experience to them to make it as valuable as possible. And I was, I'm always surprised when, when I get to a class and there's people in there that, well, I've been doing this for 15 years, I got 10 years experience, I got 20 years experience. And you say to yourself, wow, you know, what am I going to teach somebody who's got 15 or 20 years experience in this kind of work? And I've learned to just rely on rely on my programs and the way I teach and what I teach. So I came home. The program went great. It was it was wonderful. So my role players were were so good. Uh, they come out and they they are take on a role. They're actors, professional actors, and I teach them uh, how to how to react when you're when you're trying to hold back information, how to look guilty, how to look nervous, how, all these things, so that they can incorporate it into their performance, basically, and that's what it is. So I, they all have a, a a list of who they are, who they're supposed to be, and what job they're trying to get, and their background. And then I teach the class, before we get to the role players, the whole first part of the day, I teach the whole class about the things to look for in a, in a person. So there's the golden rule. And the golden rule is we look for a quality individual, a quality individual, regardless of anything else, a quality individual who can do the work. That's the, that's the criteria. And really, in, in this our modern world, that should be the only criteria that we look at. Now, in days gone by, we know people looked at other things, and they looked at other things inappropriately. Uh, they looked at, you know, people's race. They looked at their uh, their background. They looked at where they were from. They might look at their orientation and say, oh, we don't want people like that here. And all of that is improper, totally improper. What we should look at is, is the person a good quality person? And can they do the work? And if they can, then we move them along the process to make sure we find the best possible people uh, to work in our municipalities and cities and, and state governments and things like that. Well, this group was so great. They they really took very well to the training. They loved it all. They asked great questions. They interacted. They gave their experiences. And the actors were amazing and wonderful. Uh, and at the end of the program, everybody does a survey. And the survey came out. I give them, you know, uh, it was a poor class. It was an average class. It was above average. It was excellent. Well, I got to tell you, um, I think we got... 95% excellence, a couple of above averages, but that's it, nothing lower than that. And everyone was very, very grateful for the training. Matter of fact, many of them reached out to me with email to thank me personally. And I was just grateful that I could do that to help them. So, I, you know, we started out with a tough one and we end up with a, with a good story. 
So listen, we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. And we'll think of something really cool to talk about. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. All right, welcome back. All right, all right, all right. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. You know, it's funny, I was talking to my brother Todd the other day. He's a couple years younger than me, and he likes movies like I like movies. And our family, uh, my family, his family, we all watch holiday movies. We watch other kind of movies, and we quote. You know, you get all these quotes from all these different movies that you watch. In our family, something will come up, and somebody will throw out a quote from a movie, and everybody laughs about it. Well, we were, we were talking about that the other day, and uh, my brother Todd was saying, remember that Matthew McConaughey in that movie, uh, what was it, um, I can't even remember the name of the movie now, where he's in it, and uh, he's, that's where he came up with that line, he ad-libbed the line, all right, all right, all right, it was about the 1970s, right? So I just thought that was funny, and that's why I say that when I do it. So I told you when we left uh, a few minutes ago, when we come back, we're going to try and pick things up, pick up the beat, pick up the... The, the fun, uh, I told you a little bit about uh, background investigation and stuff. I'm going to tell you some more. I'm going I'm to give you the things I look for uh, that, that I think make my classes different. But I'm th- you, you want to think about them too. You know, how, do we, how do we decide what a person is? You, know, you meet new people sometimes and you say, well, is this person any good? Or is this person wants to date my daughter, date my son? Are they any good? I want to date somebody or I want to have somebody in my life. Are they a quality person? What do we look at? So I said we were going to do some things upbeat. Well, I can't think of anything more upbeat right now than to tell you about Healthy Cell. That's right, Lieutenant Joe, we're going to talk about Healthy Cell. Why? Because Healthy Cell is a very good thing. I've been taking it for a while. I've told you all that. Uh, I take the um, Immune Boost. I feel really good on it. They also have REM sleep stuff. You should look at that if you're having trouble sleeping. 
Uh, and they also have focus factor, you know, to help you uh, if you're happy, if you're starting to feel fuzzy uh, in your thoughts, you're not you're not getting yourself quite together. Focus factor. So healthy cell products, they're on the on the uh, on the network here. You should take a look, and if you think you need some help in any of those areas, give it a try. I personally like the uh, the immune boost. All right, so the other things I want to talk about, we're going we're going to hear, and I wish Jimmy was here, Jimmy the Contrarian, because apparently um, Wednesday or Thursday uh, next week or the week after, or I'm not sure exactly when, but there's supposed to be some some real serious revelations about UFOs or AEPs or whatever they're calling them now. But these are, this is supposed to be a real serious hearing. Now, how do you know? Right? You're hearing that it's going to be a real serious hearing, that there are people in government saying, more and more people saying, the American people have a right to know. They have a right to know the truth, as much truth as we can give them. And other people have been saying, well, that's why they've been kind of slow walking this stuff out for the last couple of years, talking about, you know, potential these UFOs. We don't know what they are. We have started a whole new group to look at them. And then we've been seeing, what, military videos of our pilots chasing these things. And I talked about this not too long ago. And, and Jimmy Giordano, he's... He, he's he's big on UFO stuff. He also, he's big into the, uh, you know, the the aliens are either reptilians or the greys or the blues, and he's got, he's got all these things going on. But apparently this hearing, they're, they're hyping it up, and they're saying that there's going to be some revelations that really could be life-changing for everyone. So I think they're building it up like they did last time. Remember that a couple years ago? We're going to have this uh, meeting. It's going to be life-changing for everyone about you. And they came out and they said, Dad we have a new committee looking at all this stuff. We have a new group trying to figure it out. And uh, basically, uh, we're not saying there's aliens. We're just saying that there's some phenomenon, these vehicles, uh, out of a 1,000 reports, we can account for 980 of them, what they are. But there's 20. We really have no idea what they are. And that was it. Well, now they're talking about it again. And what I've heard, and I've heard probably some hype, you know, from, but different locations, different places, different sources, that when they have this hearing, they're gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be different. They're gonna tell us something else. So the, of course the, uh, the the theories in the background is well they're gonna tell us that Roswell was real and they have the ships and that's kind of some of the information that's been bouncing around out there that we actually have uh, recovered vehicles. You know now you gotta figure in the real in the TV world in the TV world of aliens. Uh, these these ships are amazing. They're vast. They're so technological. Sometimes they're gigantic. They cover entire cities. Or they have ray guns, or they have uh, teleportation things. And you say to yourself, well, that's TV and movies. How would that translate into the real world? Well, I think, other than the level of technology, you would have to figure that whatever, if there are creatures that are coming here in vehicles right? Because that's how we get around. We get around the vehicles. Um, their vehicles have to be assembled. They have to be designed, assembled, powered, whatever they do. And just like I would think on Earth, there's an old saying about, um, about a mechanical device, no matter what it is, a plier or a spaceship, a shovel or a car engine. A mechanical device is a device that's prone to failure. So you would have to think 
that at some point, if there were creatures coming here in vehicles, flying through our atmosphere, they would be prone to the same things that our aircraft are to are prone to: wind shift, weather, dynamics, heat, um, operator error, mechanical error, a power plant error, all these kind of things, which you would think would lead to a crash now and again. Depends on how many there are, right? There's lots of them coming here. You would think that might be the case. The other thing you could look at, I suppose, would be um, maybe the military in chasing them down has tried to shoot one down and maybe has. Uh, now, some of these, the, the aerobatics that these things can do, the speeds at which they can fly, the maneuverability is so far beyond our capability, we can't even imagine how to make craft that can do the things that they actually have on film. So Michio Okako, and I think I'm saying his name right, he's a Japanese scientist, amazing guy, he's on TV, I like him a lot, and he came out and he said, and I told you this once before, but I'll repeat it for those who didn't hear it, uh, they have now looked at these videos, these military videos, and they have broken them down into such small um, bites that to look at them that they can now tell the speed at which these things are actually moving and the maneuvers that they're making and what he was saying is that there is no possible way that a creature like a human being would be able to survive some of the maneuvers that these craft are making now I have a drone that I use for business and it goes up and down and back and forth and it can spin in circles and it can go all around and do things it cannot stop on a dime and go sideways at, at 20,000 miles an hour. You know, some of these, these, these craft that they're looking at go down, go underwater, come back up, take off. It's just, it is mind-boggling. So the, the point being is that if they're going to tell us something more, doesn't it kind of make sense that for years, for years, there was a military looking at UFOs, they had Operation Blue Book, and we were never allowed to read any of the stories, any of the investigations, because they said, since there really are no aliens, Operation Blue Book would reveal our own experimental aircraft. That's what people are seeing. Or it would reveal the fact that we're seeing Russian or Chinese aircraft and we've been monitoring them, and that's why you can't see these things. And that, But there's always been people in the background that are saying, no, that's not true. And I know Marceau, I think that was his name, Colonel Marceau or General Marceau. He's the guy that was out in Roswell originally. And when the craft was sighted, the crash scene apparently was sighted, he went out there uh, and he gathered up a bunch of the materials that he found and he brought them to his house where his family was. Now, this was in 1947. And he brought them to his house where his wife and his young son were. And he showed them pieces of metal with, with writing, numbers and, and letters and stuff that he couldn't recognize. He also said the metal that was out there was, it was thin, like kind of like tin foil, but it had the strength of steel. You would bend it and it would pop right back into position. Uh, and then that stuff was turned over. And we know that the first story that was released by the military was that a uh, saucer craft was recovered in the desert. Well, then all of a sudden that changed. No, no, it's a weather balloon. It's a weather balloon. And we heard that there were bodies recovered. Well, this general, uh, I, I wish I could remember his name, Marcel. I know it begins with an M. On his deathbed, he was saying, yes, this is true. These things were true. Um, 
and we never did. So my point being is that they had Operation Blue Book. They had all these things, and then they shut it down. They said, that's it, that's it. We're done investigating this because none of this is real. There's no aliens. It's all other, it's all explainable stuff. Well, that went on for years and years and years, but the sightings never stopped, did they? We still kept seeing uh, people all over the world seeing things. I've told you, and I'll, I'll tell the story once again for those who haven't heard it. Um, I believe clearly in my mind, um, the intellect God gave me, that I believe that in this vast, vast universe that we cannot even comprehend, that there has to be other intelligent life out there somewhere. I can't imagine that we are it. Uh, and I base that on a couple things. One, I'm going to say logically, uh, if, if you had uh, the factors to randomly bring things together that created life, which I don't believe life creates itself, but it would bring it together, and we, we are the end result of that. Human beings are the result of uh, chemicals mixing together in the universe and all that, and they just get together heated and cooled in organic material. And next thing you know, boom, there's life, and here we are, you know, a million years later. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know that maybe that, that maybe that could happen. So I think that's a logical thing to say, maybe. The other side of it is, is if you look with, with faith-based eyes at this, um, if God is, is, and you have the faith to believe that God, the Lord God, has created this entire universe, the entire universe, and created us, and the earth we live on, and all the creatures, and everything from microbes to tigers to everything, to humans, and everything in between. If God can create that here, out of love, out of a desire to create, then why wouldn't he have created that somewhere else, you know, 50 million light years away on another uh, uh, galaxy? Why wouldn't he have done that on another planet somewhere? You know, we're finding out now that there are billions and billions of planets just in our own Milky Way galaxy. And there are several hundred million galaxies out in the universe that we know of. And when you start to do the numbers, to say we are the only living creature, first of all, the only living creature, would seem to be, that would seem to be more ridiculous than saying that there are there's life out in the universe. Then to say intelligent life, to say, well, you would have to figure if there was life on another planet somewhere in our galaxy or in a galaxy many moons away, um, it might be there longer than us. You know, we're, we're here, what? They're saying humanity is here for a million years, right? The dinosaurs were hundreds of millions, but humanity is a million, say a million. I don't have the exact number. Say a million. I'm going to use a million. Dinosaurs were 65 million years ago. We're here a million and we are now flying to outer space and we have computers and, and all this stuff. Imagine if there was a life, a race of creatures out there that have been around for a billion years and they didn't manage to destroy themselves, you know, blow themselves up, fight themselves into war, kill themselves, whatever. Imagine how advanced we would be in a billion years of history. Maybe we have figured out the uh, the physics of the universe and ways to get around that we never thought of before. I, I think that that's possible. So in my mind, there's logic to it, that there's creatures out there, there's other life, intelligent life out in the universe, maybe in our in our galaxy. Galaxy's a big place. Um, and just from logic. And then by faith, that if God created us out of love and God is all love, why would he not create 
other things across the universe. He created the planets everywhere. He created the stars. He created water. He created chemicals, organic matter all across the universe. Why wouldn't he create other living creatures? To me, by faith and logic, it seems that they're out there. The question is, are they flying here uh, to, to visit us uh, for what reason? Right? So that's what this, this whole next, this big conference that they're supposed to have um, should be interesting. Now, I, I'm going to guess, if I had to guess, um, and I would hope I'd be wrong, if I was going to guess, I would guess they're going to come out and they're going to give another, okay, we've narrowed down the last 500 sightings to this, that, and there's two that we absolutely can't explain. We believe these are vehicles, uh, but we don't know where they're from. They could be Earth-born vehicles, but we just don't know. And that's where we're kind of at. And I, I think that's probably most likely what they're going to say. But wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to find out that all of this buildup, they've been coming back with this new group to look at um, potential UFOs. And they, they started a new committee. And they're, looking, they're showing us videos from the military. And they're leaking things out. Wouldn't it be absolutely magical and amazing if they were to say, there are vehicles from other worlds, non-human, and we have recovered them. And then here is one. Even if it's a tiny, one of them little round ones, just a drone, and they realize that there's technology in this little drone uh, that's not human, and we try and reverse engineer it or something, and they would show it to you. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? Now, when I talk about faith when it comes to this, I remember when... Uh, Pope John Paul, uh, John Paul, Pope John Paul, was around, and there was uh, there were some rocks they found on Mars that had been they were Martian rocks. Okay, uh, they had been recovered because you know when something blows up, things you know an asteroid hits any one of these planets in our solar system, debris goes flying up in the world, goes up in the east, a lot of it goes into space, and some of it lands here on Earth. Right, so they found a bunch of rocks that they identified as coming from Mars. Now, again, I'm not a geologist or a scientist, but I know they compared the what they know about Martian rock to the rocks they found, and they knew these these rocks that they had recovered came from Mars. Uh, and while they were looking at it, they saw fossilized uh, little fossils on these rocks that look exactly like fossilized mo microbes that we know are on Earth. So they're saying, well, if there's microbes on Earth and we have rocks from Mars that have the same thing on them, then there was probably life on Mars. Right? So it's, and it became a big deal, life on Mars. Well, the anti-religious people, they saw this as an opportunity to attack religion and say, oh, well, if there's life on Mars, then that blows your whole theory that life on Earth is, is so special because God put it here. It's nothing. It's really just chance in the universe. There is no God. And that was their big jump up and down. When people of faith, and I know me, when I heard that, that's exactly when it solidified my thought when I said, well, if there is life in the universe, of course God put it there. How else would it get there? Right? And I remember John Paul. They were saying they could look back as far as the Big Bang. You know, that was the whole idea. Looking, looking through telescopes, you're looking back into time. And as you're looking farther and farther back in time, as the telescopes get bigger and bigger and better and better, and he, they were thinking they could look right back maybe to the Big Bang. 
And they asked John Paul, so what do you think if they look at that? He says, I think we should. I think we should use our science to understand our place in the universe and go back as far as the Big Bang, but go no further. Right? And it's go no further. Why shouldn't you, shouldn't we keep going? No, he was he was demonstrating that science is not the enemy of the church. Science, not, well, back in the day it was because uh, everything, uh, everything, even natural things were attributed uh, to religion. And if you didn't, you were, you were her heretic or whatever. But the church has come a long way, right? The church sponsored science throughout the history of the world. Um, and I think at this point, when John Paul said that, what he was saying, yes, yes, let's use our brain, our intellect God gave us, and our science, and let's understand at the moment of creation, because that's what the Big Bang is, the moment of creation. He said, let's understand that, but don't go further. And what he meant was, what I think he meant anyway, was once you go beyond that Big Bang, that moment of creation, the moment that God revealed to us creation, once you go beyond that, now you're going into the realm of God. And that's maybe not our place uh, to look. Uh, that's God's place to reveal in his, his own time. So that's philosophical. That's a little philosophical of me. But at the same time, um, he was probably the first pope who had to really deal with that in the history of the church because they didn't have real ideas of potential life in other parts of the world, parts, arts, parts of the universe uh, in the 1300s and the 1500s. But here we are in the modern world, and here was a pope dealing with this. And he said basically the same thing. Uh, if there's life on Mars, it's because God put it there. It's a good thing. Let's find it. Let's figure out what's out there. So that's something that I think is going to be interesting to find out as we go further. Uh, and, and like I said, if Jimmy was here, he would tell you that it's because half the, half the, the creatures are reptilian, and some are, are they're the blues and the grays, and they want to attack us, and they're, and they're doing all kinds of things. Um, so maybe I'm glad he's not here at the moment, because I was just enjoying that, that potential of what if we do actually find something. Now, I think it gets confusing because we see people do make up a lot of things. So first of all, we got people out there, and if, if you're one of them, I apologize, that says, we faked the moon landing. We never went to the moon. Um, if you're one of those people, I, I, I don't know what to say to you. You have your belief. You're entitled to it. Uh, I fully believe we did go to the moon, and we did hike around on the moon, and we did pick up rocks and come back from the moon. I think we had that technology, and we did it. Um, for those people out there who believe the Earth is flat, and believe me, there's a lot of people out there who believe the Earth is flat. Uh, I don't believe it's flat because I have two eyeballs in my head, and I've looked out into the universe through telescopes and everything else, and I see lots and lots of everything is round. Every star, every planet uh, is round. The galaxies are round. They spin around. They do things. Uh, why would I think our Earth is the only thing that's observable in all of that that's flat and you float off the end. Uh, I think that's uh, not a good theory. So there are people that believe those kind of things. And now we're seeing pictures coming back from Mars, right? And people are pouring over the pictures because you can access sites, you know, NASA sites and this and that. And you can look at pictures that come back from the rovers and, and people are finding things. And what about the face on Mars? I got to tell you. You ever about that rock that looks like a face? And it does, it really does look like a face. Uh, I mean, who would make a gigantic statue of a face? Uh-oh, don't we have the Sphinx? Hmm. And what scientists have told us is that it's really not, it's, it's, the, um, 
it's the shadow there's a it's a rock you know it's a rock formation but when the sun hits it in a certain way it creates what looks like features looks like eyes and nose and mouth maybe um, i would say why don't we fly a rover right over to it and take a look and let's see if it really is but people find these pictures and you see the little little rock man it looks like a little rock man or you know or but the most recent one that i saw and I, I, I really don't know if it's a faked-up picture or not. I would assume if it was real, uh, NASA would have to come out and explain it. Uh, but it looks like a door, a, a, door um, a, a, a concrete stone doorway into the side of a hill. Not with doorknobs or anything, but like you would see on an ancient um, Egyptian uh, building. You know, they build the, the, the big, giant uh, block, granite block columns for these doorways. It kind of does look like that. Uh, and I don't know if that's a faked up picture or not. And that's the problem, I think, with a lot of this information is that you do have uh, genuine curiosity about it. And then you've got people who, who make things up. Now, I don't, I, I, while I say that, people are going, see, Lieutenant Joe, they faked the moon landing. I told you. Um, I really don't believe they faked the moon landing. I don't. I've seen rockets take off. Uh, I've seen these uh, astronauts talking about it. We've seen spaceships explode, and we lost astronauts. Uh, so we know that the technology is something that they try. What about Apollo 13? They got halfway there, and the ship almost blew up, and they had to go around the moon and come back. And if they could do that, um, they could land there, right? The technology—it's it's, the, the the danger of space travel is the vacuum of space the lack of any heat, the lack of any air, and if your equipment breaks down and you're that far away, they, they, they can't help you. Other than that, it's just like any other vehicle. If you have propulsion, if you have landing, if you have guidance, and you can get to the place, you can land on it. We land on the earth with airplanes every day. We learned how to do that. Nobody, you'll never go, you can't fly. You're crazy to think people could fly. Well, no, flight is, is part of our life, so is a rocket, right? When I look at that, I say, yeah, once you get to the moon, you could land a rocket. Okay, and then you could take back off again. Okay, so I think uh, travel through space is obviously possible for us, and we're, we're really at the beginning of all of this. So if we had been around for just a million years more, maybe we will have figured out how to fly uh, great distances. Maybe we will have figured out how to open wormholes and travel between great distances from one place to another. Uh, and we can find out finally the uh, the answer is it is it all just happened by itself or was it influenced by a god who's controlling the universe? So th I'm glad we talked about that because I wanted to get into that a little bit. I wanted to talk about these areas of evaluation um, for for when you're doing a background, but I got kind of caught caught up in the whole space thing. And I guess um, let me think. If there's anything else I want to talk about about that uh, spaceships and and, and I. I think the thing that really amazes me is the distances in space. And that is what really caught me and gave me, I think, a better understanding of the universe is once I understood how big and far away it is. And when you look up into the night sky on a clear night and you see all those stars, most of those are galaxies. There's, yeah, there's millions of stars in our Milky Way. But most of the things you're seeing out there are galaxies and galaxy clusters. So when you think about our our Milky Way galaxy, apparently it's a very it's one of the bigger galaxies that are out there. If you were to fly at the speed of light, at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, 
it would take you 100,000 years to get across our galaxy at the speed of light. And we can travel nowhere near the speed of light. We can't go travel half the speed of light. We, we get rockets that get going uh, maybe maybe 50,000 miles an hour. I don't even know that we go that fast. We know some of these uh, uh, asteroids and whatnot are going 60, 70, 80, 90,000 miles an hour. But we don't have rockets that can go that fast and go that far. A hundred thousand years at the speed of light to cross our galaxy alone and you know how much space is between our galaxy and the next galaxy millions of years at the speed of light to get from one galaxy to another and there are 200 billion galaxies if not more out there you know how big that is how big that is and the galaxy the universe is expanding and from all science can tell us, you would think, you know, oh, the Big Bang, it goes out, eventually it'll slow down. I always thought it would slow down. And then because of gravity, it would all start to retract again back together. It would combine, and then there would be another Big Bang in a trillion years from now or whatever. But what scientists is telling us right now, from what they can tell, that the Big Bang blasted everything apart. We are, uh, that happened 14 billion years ago, 13 billion years ago, the Big Bang. Uh, and the galaxies on the further ends are actually accelerating away from us. So they're going even faster to the point that they're surmising that in a couple of hundred billion years, all of these stars and galaxies will be so far apart from each other that the skies will go dark, the stars will all burn out, the material that made all this stuff will be so far apart that the universe will be dark and cold. Isn't that a terrible thing to think about? At that point, I'm glad I have faith. And I'm glad that God's out there looking out for us. All right, my friends. Thank you for being here again. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And you think about what you think is out there. You think about your faith. And let's end this fentanyl scourge on our country. <laughs>